0: Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm Pastor Chris, and um, it's great to be here and worship, and I know it's also big vacation time, and we have people that are in and out, and I hope if you've been one of those lucky ones, then um, you've enjoyed yourself too. And um, today, believe it or not, we are starting a brand new series, a brand new message series that we're calling Underdog. Underdog underdog. And uh, today we're going to start off our first message with a look at the confident underdog. But this is over the next seven weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians. So if you're doing any kind of private Bible study, devotional time, um, maybe you walk through that with us. And in the worship guide that you were handed when you came here in person um, and then also to let you know guys online on our website there's under resources there's a tab that also has the worship guide that you can print out or put on your computer and there's notes in the back of that that you can follow along too and so maybe that's something that you revisit or that you go to in your devotional time as we share in this together. So um, and the reasoning for the, the kind of title of underdog, as I was thinking and praying about this, is uh, the Olympics have just started, believe it or not, right? We've been on this delay for over a year now. And um, did anyone catch the opening ceremonies did anybody like specifically wake up at, what was it, 6.30 on Friday morning? We have a couple hands back there just to watch. You guys are the lo- loyal folks back there. Um, so it started at like 6.30 our time because this is in Japan now. So I don't know how many hours exactly that they're ahead. But, um, but we're kind of like in the Olympic time. I know some people have been really binge watching lots of the competitions and things. And, and what, what came to mind is usually during like an Olympic season, We celebrate and you'll see like those little videos of of people that are the underdog, whether it's a certain person because of their their age. There is this young lady from Syria. I just read something about that. She's a a table tennis champion and she's 12 years old. Had she gone to the Olympics last year would have been 11. She would have been 11, one of the youngest ever. Uh, Folks that we consider to to kind of be the the mismatched or the the folks that that don't seem to have all the the things lined up in their favor to win. And sometimes we celebrate that around the Olympics. Um, But as I was also thinking about this message and as I was talking with our staff, there was another image that came up about underdog, and that's this one. Does anybody... So I had no idea. So Jeff, Pastor Jeff and I were talking, and he's like, "Underdog, you know, there's no need to fear. Underdog is here." And I'm like, "Who?" You know. So I think there's like a maybe a generational little bit of a difference. Maybe, maybe we'll kind of see. But um, but some of you guys might remember. So I'm not judge. No judge in here. We are all all brothers and sisters in Christ here. Um, but you might remember that cartoon about this this underdog, no need to fear. Um, but but whether or not you know who this is or not. Um, Most of us like to see the little guy or the little gal beat the big guy or the big gal, don't we? We love upsets. A couple years back, we loved when the Philadelphia Eagles, right, an eagle, okay, we have some people some haters back there. We're well, forgiven, don't worry. But we had the Eagles, right? They took on the Patriots and we're like, yeah, they're like the underdog. Everybody's like cheering them on, at least the people that I know. And um, and so we really love how like you know the, the underdog comes up and upsets the, the big strong champion. Um I was thinking about this, about, like, why do we care so much, right? I was thinking about wondering, why do we care so much about the underdog? Why, when we're watching the Olympics or other sports or just in life, why do we care so much about the underdog? Well, I think it's because we probably, because we see a bit of ourselves in the underdog, don't we? That we, we tend to view ourselves at times in life as the underdog. We know what the underdog feels like. Well, today we're going to focus on the, this idea of confidence. And um and thinking about that. A common reason for feeling like an underdog often lies in this thing called comparison. Comparison. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that, or maybe you're thinking of that even right now. You know, when you, when you look around, doesn't your confidence tend to go down? Uh, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way, in underdog language, the fastest way to lose is to compare it to someone else's win. And if you don't know what this is like, what this looks like, I'm going to give you a couple of, of examples of this. So, say, say your friend, you have a great friend, or maybe a neighbor or a coworker, and this friend is on their second vacation of the year. And they talk about it all the time, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you think you're like, well, my vacation consisted of going to here. Right? <laughs> the free Hershey. We like the free Hershey. Go to Chocolate World. Check that out. You know, you took your kids there, like, this is vacation, right? This is fantastic. So she's on the, the, the second vacation there, he's on the second vacation there, you, your version is here. It can make you feel kind of kind of bad, like, like your confidence goes down. Or, or maybe you have a friend that posts this on Facebook or Instagram. The pool, the infamous pool, the picture of her feet or his feet overlooking the pool. And you hate those feet. You hate those feet, why? Because your feet look like this. Here are your feet. Yeah, you know it. You've been there. You've done that. Or, or you have a great another friend or uh, maybe someone in your family, and he's out to dinner with his wife, and his dinner looks like this. Sharing it with everybody as you look down and see that you're eating that. Comparison, right? Comparison. Sometimes we can look around and we draw the conclusion that everybody else is winning in life except for you. And the truth is, for some of us, for, for most of us, there's some area in life that feels far from a total win. And if, if we were really honest, if I asked you to raise your hands in this, I think we would all agree that there's some place that we felt like that. And maybe, maybe you've invested in a job or a business venture or in a relationship or you thought you would marry this individual, or maybe you did marry them, or, or your kids, you know, you're losing at parenting more than winning, it feels like. Or maybe you're in school and there's a certain class that everybody else seems to get it really easily, except for you. You know, what is that? The, things keep happening to you. It's like one thing after another, after another. Th- things keep, keep happening to, to you as a family or, or even to us, you know, as a church. It's like, okay, well, there's a pandemic, and then this happened, and then we're in a transition, and then now this. And, and on the surface, many of us will be uh, social media spectacular, but underneath, we're really struggling. Even in our spiritual lives. Have you thought about that? Have, have you ever thought, felt like a spiritual underdog? You see these people that know the Bible, they, they can recite scripture, they've been going to church ever since they were yay big, right? Except for you. Or, or maybe you're, you've come back after a while and you're still like confused and trying to ask questions and figure things out that you must feel like a spiritual underdog. Well, in 61 AD, there was an entire church that felt like underdogs, And this was a church that was located in the city of Philippi in Macedonia. This is a little map to show you where that is, up, up towards the north there. And basically, this was in present day Greece. It was an official Roman military colony, and it was actually a retirement city for men to gravitate towards this area. Well, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, he made a trip there in the year 49 AD. And in that trip, He started sharing the good news about Jesus, about how Jesus came and died and was resurrected. He shared what we call the gospel, the good news. And there was this this place that he went, this watering hole where all the women would gather. And he shares the good news with this lady called Lydia. You can read this story in Acts. And Lydia comes to faith. She brings Paul home, and basically her whole household comes to faith, and they're all baptized together. And, and it's said that Lydia actually started one of the first house churches in this region. Well, that church grew. But so did the troubles at the time. So did the persecution Paul himself, as he leaves this area, he's, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's imprisoned. And this is all part of the Roman Empire. And so, so believers in Christ, people that were following what was called the way, were seen as a threat. And the emperor, the emperor didn't like that. His name was Nero. Maybe you've heard of him before. And, and not De Niro, Nero. And, and so Nero, Nero was really mad because he wanted people to worship him. So all of this is going on, and the reason, the reason why the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippians is to address the Philippians who are feeling like underdogs, that he's addressing them because he knows they might be feeling like giving up. See, you and I, we may have a good reason for believing that is not in our future, Just like the Philippian church did everything against them. Well, Paul wants the Philippian church to know that he is confident. He's confident that God will get them through what they are facing. And the the, the key scripture here, the the key verse I want to focus on that frames this message is this. In in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am confident. I am confident. Can you guys say confident with me? Confident that of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Confident that no matter how bad the odds look against you, God will complete the work that he began in them in Philippi and I believe in us today. And so the summation of this is that God positions us for a win When we run our race with confidence in him, when we run our race with confidence in him, then he positions us for a win. But the questions we're going to ask as we're unpacking this first section of Philippians today is is where does Paul's kind of confidence come from? Right? Where does it come from? How do we receive that? How can Paul, so Paul at this time is in prison in Rome, and he's writing this letter. How can he be confident that God is going to complete what he started? Well, that's what Paul is going to tell us in the beginning of this book, and I believe it's a message for anyone here today or listening online who is feeling like an underdog. To be reminded that you can be confident in God while you run your race confidently. So let's take a look at the beginning of this letter. So starting verses 1 through 6 in this first section. So Paul says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's giving a greeting here. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Is there someone you think of and you thank God every time you remember them? Well, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this. There's our verse, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So the source of confidence that he's talking about here, the source is God alone, is God. So Paul says the source is not in the, uh, the Philippians themselves, in the people. It's the source of confidence is not in what the, Dr. Oz has to say. It's his source of confidence is not in how good or how bad things are going, or even in their feelings, how they're feeling. His, the source of confidence is in who? God. It's in God. But, but what did he do? He, he says, what did he do? He began a good work in you. In you. We have to remember that sometimes. He began a good work in you. In, in, in us here at Table Life Church. In, in each of us individually. And it's a different work in your friend by the pool. It's a different work in the person you know that's been on the three vacations. It's a different work with the person that is eating the, the fancy dinner. Uh, you know, we have to remember that, that God has a lane for you, a lane to swim in, a lane to run in, a lane to be in. And so we look at this first part, this opening section, that the book of Philippians, if you didn't know, is written in the Greek style of a friendly letter. So Paul is writing in the Greek language here. And this is a little geeking out moment. You can tune out if you're not interested in this part. But, but this is what the people of the time were really familiar with. It had five parts to this letter. Um, There's this salutation or greeting, there's this uh, capaccio benevolentiae, I had to practice that, which is this section about winning goodwill, winning goodwill of your listener or your reader. Then there's narratio, where they're telling a bit of a story and the petitio, a specific request followed by the conclusion here. And his goal here in this first section is to develop goodwill. He's developing an emotional connection for a positive response. It's kind of like today. I termed this. If I were writing a similar letter in kind of today's in today's address or today's language, I would say, "Well, hey, Trisha, I hope you had a, you had a wonderful weekend with your family in Philadelphia. You were so kind to invite them for a visit and to get together. By the way, did you get my memo?" So, so you're kind of like starting things in a, in a happy way. You know, this is a job tip right here. Start your classical friendly letter. Uh, your, your classical friendly letter is a good thing for your career. Try it in the next email. Um, and it's filled with compliments, you see. Paul has all these compliments in these first verses, three through five. But then we see there's a twist, though, in verse six that anyone reading this letter would have seen. There's a twist. I am confident... But you see the source of his confidence? But his confidence is not in them. Their confidence, his confidence is not in them because of their talents or because of the plan that they have or because of their education level. His confidence is in God. Why is this important? Well, in any letter written at this time, the, the, that section of, of confidence, that complimentary confidence, would, would have been expected to be a pat on the back to the person that was reading it to say, you are amazing, you are the best thing since sliced bread, you are just the t- tip of, you know, of, of just everything, you're the top dog here. They would have expected to be pat on the back, but instead, Paul says, no. My confidence, I love you guys, but my confidence is in God. God is behind it. God is not done with you yet. And, and they had to take this seriously, because this is coming from the church's founder, it's like looking back on the history of Table Life Church and having, having the founding pastor writing a letter to us today to, to tell us. And imagine, Paul's going through his own stuff at the time. Isn't that amazing when someone can talk to you and they're going through their own stuff and yet they give you encouragement? Wow. It's a lot different than when somebody that's, you know, everything is going great for them and they're telling you, well, just have faith and just believe or whatever. Like, he's under house arrest at the time. He was arrested. And I think what true, was true for Paul in the Philippians is also true for us, that when you're not winning, you find out where your confidence has been. When you're not winning is when you find out what you've been relying on. So who is the source of your confidence? Who's the source of your confidence? For, for some of us, it, it's YouTube, right? And this is a little jest here. I don't know. Have you ever like, learned to do something by watching a YouTube video? You know, raise your hands here. Just nice and bold. Yes. Yes. You want to look it up. You just go to YouTube. You find out. I was listening to a radio program this week. And um, they were talking about that. It um, said that 35% of people have learned to do a new skill by just watching a YouTube video. And um, they asked some people to call in about different YouTube videos they had watched that would build their confidence in trying something. And this one lady, she was, said she learned how to cave kayak by watching a YouTube video. Cave kayak, like in the dark, and like with bats and stuff like flying around, and like how to navigate, whatever. I'm like, you become someone else and their confidence in you. Maybe it's because of a dad who is no longer alive. Maybe your confidence is rooted in a mother that you will never please. Or maybe it's rooted in in one-upping the ex-spouse that you have. Or proving yourself to a boss or a former boss to say, I can do this. Who did you start for? What is the source or who is the source? If you're honest, who is the source of your confidence? Because if the answer is anything else besides God, you are running a race that you will never, ever win. But how can Paul be so confident in Christ How can he be so confident in Christ finishing what Christ started in Philippi? We're going to look at the reason for that confidence. So verses 6 through 8, he says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. The reason for confidence, he's confident because he's seen it. He's seen it. He's experienced it. Paul says, my confidence is not in you, but in Christ in you and what I've seen God doing through you. He says, you share in God's grace with me. There's a common bond here. He knows them. He loves them because they have been there for him. See, I think sometimes it takes somebody else in our lives to see the truth in us, to see what God is doing into and through us, to remind us of what God has done and and where we've been. Because many times we have a hard time seeing that ourselves. In the realm of sports, I remember when I was in college, and um, that's when I started to enter into long-distance running. I had been a track athlete in high school, but I only competed in the 400 meters up to the kind of sprint level while I took on distance in college, and I found out I was pretty good. I started to run races, and so uh, I went to the university. Of Nor- I was at the University of North Carolina, and I decided that I was going to try out for the varsity track team. Well, in order to do that, in order to be a walk-on at a D1 school like North Carolina, they put you through a series of tests at the time and had this fantastic coach who uh, he worked a job full-time and then came to coach the students here at North Carolina. And um, so our team really grew close together. We traveled to different races around North Carolina, and his name was Jonas. And Jonas really invested in us as people, as students, as athletes. And, um, and so when I went to try out for the, for the varsity team, one of the tryouts, believe it or not, I had to run the 5,000 meters around the track, which is, what was it? It's like 22 and a half laps around. So it feels like a rat, right? You're just running, running, running. And I was by myself. Uh, I had to run this thing by myself. It was a windy day. And uh, I remember thinking like I had a certain time I had to break. I think it was like 19 minutes or something. And the coach was staying there with his stopwatch um, and ready for me to race. So I met him at the track, did my warm up, was ready to run this, this time trial. And lo lo and behold, I saw out of the corner of my eye, my coach, Jonas. He literally leaped over the fence, almost got caught. He had a suit on because he'd come like straight from work, like leaped over the fence, like hurdler style like runs to the track, waving like this, and is like thumbs up like that. He wanted to be there for me. And I remember the smile like going across my face in these terrible conditions, having to do this thing by myself, horrible weather, and, um, and just seeing him to know that there was someone there who saw something in me made all of the difference for that. And I have to say, like, I ran at that time, like, the best time I had ever run uh, 5,000 meters on that track. And, um, and so it was interesting because it, everybody everybody, knew, everyone needs a spiritual Jonas. But also, everyone needs to be a spiritual Jonas, to call out God's work in other people, to say, hey, you know what, I, I really see this gift or this call in you. we're all a part of that. It takes somebody else in our lives to see what God is doing in our lives. And and Paul Paul is not just relying on what he's witnessed, but he's relying on what his heart tells him. See, God has something more in store for the Philippian church. He has a bigger race ahead, and it's amazing because 2,000 years later, we're reading this. And we too can be inspired and encouraged by his words. Well, the last part here though, what is the result of that confidence? What is the, we've seen the, the reason here, but what is the result? <coughs> Excuse me. He says this in verses nine through 11. And this, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. So that, In the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. See, Paul is not just confident that God will get them through this, that God will survive. And sometimes we get in survival mentality. It's just like, let me just get through this and push through and survive. He's saying God will use this, not just get through it, but use it. He's going to use these trials to perfect you not make you perfect in the sense of having absolutely no fault about you, but perfect in your purpose, that you would grow in real knowledge and relationship of him, that you grow, he says this, in, into that, to determine what is best, discernment. Have you ever prayed for discernment? I have. It's a dangerous thing to pray because you begin to see things that you never saw before, to say, hey, God, give me the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and sometimes he points out things in yourself. That you hadn't wanted to see. He, uh, he, Paul is saying here, to, "To be, you need to be who Christ wants you to be. That's the win. You learn Christ through that experience as an underdog. Nothing goes to waste. Nothing goes to waste with Jesus. Have you experienced that? To see even the, the, the stuff that you've been through, the choices that you' made, like nothing goes to waste. People would look at me personally and they'd say, you know, okay, your education, like your first two degrees, they have nothing to do with anything spiritual, you would say. They are two degrees in biology. They're not these two different things that we sometimes tell college students they need to choose from, but yet that they're intertwined. Nothing goes to waste. People might say that about church. This is a waste of time, right? You could be doing so many other things. You could be sleeping, right? That extra hour, two hours of sleep Prayer, that's a waste, right? That's a waste. But he's saying here, no, be confident because nothing, nothing goes to waste here. And and that's, that's for us. I believe he also is speaking to us here because God positions you for a win when you run your race with confidence in him. Can we say that together? It kind of rhymes here, kind of cheesy, I know. But can you say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. God positions you for a win when you run your race with confidence in him. Do you realize that there is a race marked out for you? There's a race marked out for us here at Table Life Church. It's a calling. It's a specific lane. But the fastest way to lose the race is to lose what? Confidence. And why? Why do we lose confidence? Well, as we're running, or if you say, as you're swimming, we're doing this looking behind us, or looking over here, what's what's he doing, what's she doing, what are they doing? As a church, what's the church down the street doing? What's the church I came from doing? What's the mega church that's everybody is up there? where It's confidence in saying, no, 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 He, he has a race for you, for us. Don't lose focus. Confidence not in our ability here on this planet, but the one who has put us on this planet. And truthfully, That doesn't mean that you'll have the biggest business house or the most beautiful dinner or the swimming pool. But what's the race that God has set before you now?